0: WTC is Verse by Bar. Verse. Sponsored by Verse by Verse
1: Ministries. Look at all that God has done for you. He really asked you to do only one thing for him. Do you know that? Only one thing. When you do this one thing, he's got all of you. You give him yourself. You put your body on the altar and you say, God, here it is. Sometimes I don't even want it. I don't know why you want it. But God does want it. He wants our bodies, and, and by bodies, he, he doesn't just mean this thing called flesh. He's, he's talking of our minds, our emotions, our wills. He wants all of us so that he can use us as instruments of righteousness.
2: Recently I saw a movie about a young boy who found a gravely injured dog in the woods. The dog's only hope for survival rested in the mercy and compassion of the lad. With great care and attention, the boy nursed the dog back to health. The dog responded with a strong loyalty to the boy. Even when the dog's previous owner appeared, the dog could not be separated from the one who had shown him such mercy and compassion. Unfortunately, there are many Christians who have never responded to God's mercy with the same natural, sensible surrender as this dog. Thank you for joining us again for Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff. We trust that you will be strengthened and challenged by the program today as Pastor Steve comes to the close of Romans chapter 11. Let's join the study now.
1: Now the question is this, and people sometimes say this to me, well, if if Jewish people, I don't hear hear this too often, but once in a while, and I just want to sort of take, uh, make a footnote of this, someone may ask you, and people have asked me, if all Israel is going to be saved, then why witness to Jewish people? Why witness to Jewish people? Well, it's very simple. Because if a Jew dies without Christ, he goes to hell. If a Gentile dies without Christ, he goes to hell. That's why you witness. You don't look at a Jewish person and say, I'll bet the rapture is going to take place in his lifetime, and he's going to become a believer. You don't do that. You don't know when the rapture is going to take place. And you don't know if he's going to be one of the... Uh, one third of the people, that's, the Jewish people, is going to survive the tribulation. Most will die. You don't do that. You witness to all. The gospel is to the Jew as well as the Gentile. I'm always amazed you turn into talk shows. And uh, if you have somebody, if they have someone who's an evangelical on a talk show, they inevitably want to pin them down on this question Are you saying. That if a Jew doesn't accept Christ, he'll go to hell. And and it's amazing to me that these men who are good men who are on these talk shows, which I don't know why they get themselves in that situation anyway, because they always come up looking ignorant. But they'll sort of squirm out, well, uh, we're just... If someone said that to me, I'd say, yes, It's exactly what I'm saying. But I'm also saying that if a Gentile doesn't accept Christ, they'll go to hell too. It's both. So I said, it's not prejudice. It's, it's all in the category of being sinners. And that's what Paul is going to say in verse 32. Now watch this. God's ultimate purpose is to have mercy upon believing Gentiles and believing Jews. Now watch this. For God had shut up, and it means he's locked them all up. He's imprisoned them in disobedience. Why? That he might show mercy to all. All men, meaning Jews and Gentiles, have been imprisoned in disobedience. Why? So that he might show mercy to any Gentile and any Jew who turns to Christ for mercy and salvation. You see, this answers the question of racial tension. There really ought not to be anything called racial tension, but some people make it that way. This answers the question to the conceited Gentile who said, I'm better than the Jew. And it also answers the question to the conceited uh, Jew who says, I'm better than the Gentiles. No one's worthy of salvation. No one. If we got, uh, you know, I hear people saying, you know, I just want what I deserved. Never say that, because what we deserve is hell. That's what we deserve. Anything else is a gift. It's mercy. It's compassion. It's pity. Everyone is worthy of hell. God locks us all up in sin that he might show mercy. The bottom line is that Gentiles and Jews deserve judgment, not mercy. mercy. We take that for granted. We really do. We just kind of think that, it was coming to us and you know some some of us have been saved so long we don't even think that we are a people who've been shown pity and by the way i might add that this maybe doesn't totally answer the question but it deals somewhat with the question of why has god allowed sin in the world i mean theologians wrestle with that all the time and i don't know if this is a complete answer but i'll tell you what this gives some insight uh, and and it's somewhat of an answer God has allowed sin that he might reveal one attribute of his, which is mercy. Had God not allowed sin, and I think there are other reasons he allowed sin, but had God not allowed sin, he would never have had the opportunity to demonstrate his mercy. Now, I want you to know this is the revelation of the mercy of God. This is it. Paul sort of puts a lid on everything that he has brought us to, and he just tops it off with mercy. In chapter 9, he started off by questioning the faithfulness of God. Because Israel has rejected Christ and wasn't saved. But Paul puts the blame on Israel and holds her responsible for her unbelief. God can't be blamed for her unbelief. But in mercy, he's using Israel's unbelief to bring salvation to the Gentiles. Then he uses the Gentiles to provoke some Jews to jealousy. Finally, when all the Gentiles that he's going to save are saved come to salvation, he turns his attention to Israel they as a nation embrace him. They, they usher in the millennial kingdom. Blessings untold come to the world. And it's all because of God's mercy. Now at this point, I don't know about you, but when I, when I study this and when I do it now, I, I just want to break forth into praise. And that's just what Paul does. This is an incredible, view, uh, an incredible uh, statement. That the mercy of God brings it all together. And God takes this plan and shows that that he can work it out, and Paul just really sings forth praises to the Lord for working out these things so that his mercy saves ruined Gentiles and ruined Jews without compromising his integrity. Now, we have spent weeks in looking at it, but if you had a panoramic view of it all, you'd want to just praise God. You should praise God. And I call it the result of God's mercy. The result of God's mercy is is not man's pride, but man's humility when he recognizes how wonderful God is. How wonderful he is. Paul breaks forth into praise, and he praises God for his mind, his wisdom, and so forth. Let's look at verses 33 through 36, and I don't want to go into too much detail here. Somehow when I come across praise to God, I think to go into detail is, is, and to dissect it somehow takes away from its beauty. But he says, All the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who's known the mind of the Lord? Or Who's become his counselor? Or who has is, who is first given to him that, he might, that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is where theology becomes Doxology this is where you have to take the whole plan and and you just fall on your knees before god and you say how magnificent what mind but god's could figure anything out like this what mind but god could think through a plan of salvation that would redeem lost humanity what mind but God's could take the fall of Israel, turn it into salvation for Gentiles, salvation for Jews, salvation for an entire nation and blessings for the whole world in the millennial kingdom? Who could do anything like that? And then you have people coming along, I don't get the plan of salvation. I don't think it's right. It can't be this way. Listen, God is so magnificent that Paul says, who could figure out his minds? Nobody could figure out his mind. I mean, I'm just teaching it to you. I haven't figured it out. He does it in such a way that is consistent with the Old Testament, never violates his word, never violates his righteousness, and only exalts his mercy. Who could ever figure that out? Alva McLean, who was president years ago at Grace Seminary, said this in his commentary on Romans, he says, The person who has mastered the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans knows more about the philosophy of history than all the wisest historians that the world has ever seen. There is a philosophy of history here that is unmatched. It makes the historians of the earth appear like children Playing with their toys. In these first 11 chapters, Paul shows us the original human race. The race is split into two segments, Jew and Gentile. Then came the promises, and and they crucify the Messiah, resulting in the expansion of the promises to all, God having mercy upon all. I mean, it's magnificent. How could you help but sing praises to the Lord? You could say amen once in a while. Not for me, but for the Lord. How magnificent. What man could have ever conceived of this plan? Nobody. We have a hard enough time following it and studying it, right? You see, that's the point. God's mind, his wisdom, his knowledge, his his decisions, his ways are so deep that they are unsearchable and they are untrackable. You can't even figure it out. God is so great. Our minds cannot even fathom God's mind. I mean, that's like a little ant figuring out your mind. I mean, that's not even a good comparison. Because for us, it's less than ants figuring out the mind of God. Because God is so much greater. You see, a God, as someone said, who's comprehended is no God at all. Stop trying to figure out God. There are A lot of people who say they won't come to Christ because they just can't figure it out. If you can figure out God, then you don't need God. He's... The one who cannot be totally comprehended. And then Paul says, and and rather rhetorical questions, who knows God's mind? The answer is no one, unless he reveals it. I don't know God's mind, unless he reveals it. Who counsels God as to what to do? That's what Paul says. Who's been his counselor? God's never sat down with me and said, Steve, I've got a problem, and I wonder if you could help me. And God's never done that with you. Who's been God's counselor? No one. Who ever counseled God to come up with a plan like this? No one. Paul says this. Who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him? Does God owe something to Gentiles? If he did, then it wouldn't be mercy. Be obligation. Does God owe something to Jewish people? No. Be obligation then. God's no man's debtor. And then Paul brings it to a crescendo, and he says in verse 36, For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. God has created this plan of salvation and he sustains it and will bring it to its proper end. You know why? You know what the bottom line of, of all of this is? Is God's glory. The glory of God is the majestic splendor of God. We glorify him when we recognize him for who he is. When we re- Do you know that, that the bottom line of salvation is not our happiness? Now, we're happy with salvation. But the pursuit of happiness is is not the reason God brought us salvation. God brought us salvation that man might turn away from his selfish self-centeredness and look to him and praise God for all that he is. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Three times as Paul speaks about the blessings that God gives us, the salvation he gives us, the grace he gives us, the election that's involved in that. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will. Why? Look at verse 6. To the praise of the glory of His grace. When you understand, and Paul basically goes on two more times to say that, when you understand what God has done in salvation... All you can do is praise the glory of his grace. Praise his grace. You look at salvation, you say how gracious God is. The intention of salvation is to bring God glory, not to make us comfortable. So the result of God's mercy, according to Romans chapter 11, is to him be the glory forever. Who could figure out such a thing like this? And when I realized this, I had to fall on my knees before God. And say, you are magnificent, and I feel like a worm. That's right. So all we can do is give God glory. Now, I want you to look here for a moment. We don't want to stop here. I know that our our Bibles stop here and go into chapter 12. But something you may not realize is that chapter divisions in the Bible are not inspired. Maybe some of you didn't realize that. The words are inspired, but chapter divisions were added in the 13th century. And and it's good. Most chapter divisions really help us because they just help us find our way through the New Testament and the Old Testament, for that matter, which was taken care of long before the 13th century. But in the 13th century, a, a, a man invented chapter divisions. Most of the chapter divisions are right on target. Unfortunately, this one isn't. I don't want you to go here without understanding a little bit, at least, of chapter 12, verse 1. And that is the response to God's mercy. We'll deal more in depth next week because my heart is so burdened about this. But the response to God's mercy, in light of the fact that God has taken hostile Gentiles, rebellious Jews, and brought them to salvation by his mercy, what should be our response? Really, this question is, after 11 chapters of doctrine, what are you going to do about it? What should you do about it? Paul says, I urge you, forget chapter 12 at this point, forget that there's a break. He's still dealing with the mercies of God. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Paul says, I beg of you. I plead with you. Why doesn't he force them? Because you can't force people to do this. You can't force a redeemed soul to present himself to God. You can't force that. This is not legalism. This has to spring from a heart that's responsive to mercy. Paul says, I plead with you. I beg you. He begs us on the basis of what? The mercies of God. Based on all that God has given you salvation, love, redemption, forgiveness of sins, eternal security the Spirit of God dwelling in you. Everything he said from Romans 1 one to 11, based on the mercies of God, Paul says, I urge you to do one thing. This is what God wants. You know what God wants from a believer, from a, from a Christian? One thing. One thing. And that is that you present your bodies, and it means a once and for all presentation of your bodies to God. Paul says it's living, it's not a dead sacrifice. It is holy. And it is acceptable to God. And this is the only, thing, the only reasonable thing you could do. This is your worship. This is what God wants. Look at all that God has done for you. He really asks you to do only one thing for him. Do you know that? Only one thing. When you do this one thing, he's got all of you. You give him yourself. You put your body on the altar and you say, God, here it is. Sometimes I don't even want it. I don't know why you want it. But God does want it. He wants our bodies and, and by bodies he, he doesn't just mean this thing called flesh. He's, he's talking of our minds, our emotions, our wills. He wants all of us so that he can use us as instruments of righteousness. Romans 6.13 says that. God has given us everything. God has given us everything. Every spiritual blessing and salvation. And I can't believe that there would be some Christians who would not do this. Obviously there are. All God says, I want one thing and that's yourself. May I say without attacking anyone, that, that this cuts into the 10% mentality? May I say that God does not, is not looking for 10% of your money or your time or your talents. He's looking for you. And when he has all of you, you don't need to be concerned about percentage. God wants one thing, and that's yourself. Have you ever made that once and for all presentation to him? I mean, when you think about it, it is, it is the most ungrateful thing that we could do in living our own life. God says, I just want one thing, and that's yourself. You see, this is the motivation, the highest motivation of gratitude. There are other motives in the Christian life, but this is the highest motivation, gratitude. What should be your response through 11 chapters of, of Romans, and specifically 9, 10, and 11? Just give them yourself. That's all. Just give him yourself, folks. I want you to understand this is not abnormal Christianity. This is not the deeper life. This is the normal Christian life. This is it. Most people have missed it. In fact, many people I speak to are looking for uh, for God to. They, they think that the way to victory in the Christian life is for God to just give me more and give me. I gotta get this experience. I gotta get that. I've got. God's given you everything. All He wants you to do is give him yourself. That's it. Give him yourself. It's just normal to your reasonable service of worship. Have you given him your mind to use for his glory, to think through? Have you given your hands to work for his glory? Your feet to travel for him. Your mouth to speak for him. This is the Christian life. And it means a once and for all decision that you just present your body. Not as a dead sacrifice. That's the Old Testament. We're a living sacrifice. God says... It's holy. I mean, I don't know why he looks at me and says, you're holy, but God says it. Holy, and it's acceptable to God. So what should be your response? You don't live for yourself anymore. You live for him. You live for him. I, I can't tell you how this just grips my heart, because we've got a, a church of, like any, probably any other evangelical church in the area and in the world, of some people who are absolutely committed, and a lot who are not committed. And I, as a servant of the Lord, have to tell you that when you don't commit yourself and you don't follow through, it's as if you've slapped the Lord right in the face. It's, a, it's as if you've taken your hand and said, thanks, and slapped him. That's, that's what it's all about. The response to God's mercy. When I understand how much God has done for me, the only thing I could do is fall before him and say, I'm yours. Do with me as you see fit. That's it. Let's close for prayer. I urge you, you brethren, this is not for unbelievers, this is for brethren. I urge you, my brethren, based on God's mercy to you, and he had, He dug you out of the pit of unbelief and wickedness and destined for hell based on what he's done for you. How dare you not give him yourself? How dare you do that? What audacity. That's right. It's the, the hype highest extravagance of gall and nerve to not give God the one thing he asked for. He doesn't ask for a million dollars. He just asks for you. He he really doesn't care about your money. He really doesn't care about your time, primarily. He really doesn't care about your gifts. He really doesn't care about you giving uh, some service to him. He wants you, period, you. Have you ever done that? Have you ever given yourself to Christ? and said I'm yours without reservation I am yours you need to do that you need to do that or else you are the epitome of ungrateful ungratefulness and being unthankful I hate that in people I hate when when my children are not grateful thankful I hate when people are and I know that God hates it when we're unthankful to him after 11 chapters of doctrine, knowing who you are, what you have, the least you could do is say, "God, I'm yours." Did you do that? Not for me, but for him based on the mercies of God. Do it right where you are right now. This afternoon, think about it. Dwell on it. Don't turn your mind to other things. Wrestle with God until you give Him yourself. And if you're without Christ, then you've heard about God's mercy. Have you been a recipient of God's mercy? Have you ever trusted Christ? Because if not, you're in the predicament of the Gentiles before salvation. Or if you're Jewish, the Jews before salvation, destined for hell. And it's not God's fault. All day long, he stretched forth his hands to you to extend mercy. He shut up Jew and Gentile in disobedience that they might come to him and he might show them how merciful he is. God wants to save you. God wants to be merciful to you, but he won't force you. He just calls you to accept his gift of salvation through Christ's death. Will you do that? We'll have people up here at the front after to answer any questions, to deal with you in any way, whether you're a believer or not a believer. I'll be up here. Some of our leaders will. Ask the leaders to come up after if they're not at the doors greeting. Just be around here to help anyone who needs counsel. Our Father, the triumph of your mercy. Lord, how merciful you are. And all we can do is say we're here. Lord, we're here. Move in people's hearts, Lord, who have either never experienced salvation or who, knowing Christ, have never done that once and for all presentation of themselves to you. How simple, how absolutely simple, and yet, Father, how many times we hang on to our own lives based on all you've done for us, Lord. How can we do anything less but to give you ourselves? So, Father, work in people's hearts that we might have a church of of people who are committed to Christ and have laid their lives on the altar for you to use for your glory. For we pray this in Christ's name,
2: amen. Thank you for tuning in to our broadcast today. We count it a true privilege to be able to share God's Word with you. If you have made a decision today to give yourself completely to Christ as the living sacrifice spoken of in today's message, then we would like to hear from you. You can drop us a line via email or just give us a phone call. Our email address is contact at versebyverseradio.org. And our phone number is 727-239-0306. We would like to pray for you as you seek to yield yourself to the Lord. In our next broadcast, Pastor Steve will begin to explain how the believer can successfully yield himself totally to God so you don't want to miss it. Be sure to join us here on Verse by Verse.
0: You've been listening to Verse by Verse sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. We're here to give you strength between